Hello, Grey Fox listeners. Uh, in the news coming up in this pod, we've got an excellent pod, AJ's on, it's, it's fantastic. Um, but in the news, we do talk about a, a few of recent events, specifically the death of a very beloved childhood uh, favourite. And um, if that is triggering or if you find that uh, this has affected you in any way, uh, can you please just take a moment to Google uh, Samaritans.org? Um, there is lots of advice out there about preventable deaths and uh, what to do if you suspect someone who may be suffering. But more importantly, if you are just feeling that you're a bit down, then chances are you're not alone. Just pick up your phone, text a friend, text a colleague, just check if they're okay, because uh, I can promise you it will make a world of difference. Like I said, if this has affected you in any way, please Google Samaritans.org. There is tons of great advice out there. Uh, on with the pod. Gray Fox. Kept you waiting, huh? Hello and welcome to Grey Fox Plays Games, the video game podcast where every fortnight a bunch of friends jump on a podcast to talk about video games, what they love, what they hate and all that sweet, sweet fandom in between. We have a very special pod this week. As mentioned last time, we've got a special guest. I'll intro him at the end, build some tension. First off, I'm going to bring in a man in the room with me, producer John from Miles. How are you doing, my friend? I'm not bad. I'm in an actual chair. I'm, <laughs> I'm in chair. the chair. Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah, I'm good. All good. Busy week. Won't go into it. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to be here and for this special pod. Sweet. And that leads us on to our trophy hunter, a man who has had more trophies on his profile than I have had hot dinners, Alex Hemming. How you doing, my friend? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm coming off of a, a lovely cold. It's that time of the year. So I'm uh, dosed up on Lemsip and ready to go. Fair enough. Did you get that Hot Wheels trophy? No, it's too grindy. They got rid of the. They used to have a season thing going on where they'd have events where you get loads of gears and cash real quick, but they've cancelled it. <sighs> ah, son of a bitch. Yeah. I just, uh, just, just. I, I popped my platinum cherry last night. Hey. Uh, which I text you going, hurrah! <laughs> uh, I thought about that later, Resident Evil Village. But, ladies and gentlemen, we had him on, friend of the show, about a year or so ago. He is the CEO of the Lala Studios. Uh, creator of games ladies and gentlemen there's very few people they say those who can do those who can't talk about it well this guy can and he's come to talk about it aj grand scratum of delala fame how you doing sir hey thank you very much for the lovely intro i feel like we should get like you're you're not only are you our first guest you're our second <laughs> <laughs> so i'm the only guest in podcast history but, no we we interviewed a few people and pre-recorded them but you're like the only one who likes us <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll take that. That makes me special. <laughs> uh, in fact, I have to I'll give a shout out because apparently she will be listening to this. AJ's PA, uh, who I've been sending notes to, she is a saint. Thank you very much. Uh, but gentlemen, let's get started. Answer me this question's free. What have you been watching? What have you been playing? Or what have you been reading if you are cultured like that? I'm going to start with Alex Hemming. What's been going on in your world, my friend? I've been mainly playing quite a lot these last couple of weeks, which is quite helpful for a video game podcast. And it's been two of the big releases of this year. So we'll go with the first one, God of War Ragnarok. I was very excited about it in the last pod. Mentioned it was coming out that evening. And uh, I haven't finished it yet. It is, it's beefy. This thing is... It's like double size, the first one, isn't it? I think it's probably more than that. It Honestly, I've put in nearly 30 hours and I don't think that... 
I'm close yet. And there is just so much to do. The combat feels great. Uh, graphically fantastic. I will just say the only thing is, I'm starting to wish we got more next-gen exclusive games. Because this feels like it's having to do a little bit of trickery so it still works on the PS4. Uh, so, for example, the loading... There's ways of it hiding load screens. You remember Mass Effect back in the day where you get in a lift yeah. and they'd have a little conversation while the lift goes down. There's a, a bit in here called the Realm Between Realms where you have to walk around the top of the tree. Uh, Yggdrasil, if you've played the first one. And you, they have a set conversation. And as soon as that conversation ends, the door pops up for you to go into the new realm. And it doesn't matter how long that conversation is, exactly the length of it ends, the door appears. It just feels like for the PS5 version, they could have just gone, and you're in the new realm. Uh, yeah, it still does that. Yes. Yeah. Have you got the Scottish guy? The Scottish yep. guy, the floating Lemire. guy. Lemire is still there, and right. he's still that telling guy, the stories. That guy's incredible. We need to find out who the voice actor is and ask for an interview or something, because just, I, 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 you know, we've said it before in the pod, I didn't click with God of War 2018. However, I thought, you know what, I'm going to play Ragnarok, but I want Ragnarok to make sense. I'm going to go back, I'm going to force myself do that thing that people do with TV shows and movies they don't particularly like. I'm going to force myself until I like it. Hot damn, I fucking love that game now because of that head guy. Brother! <laughs> Your brother! Little brother! I, I loved it. I can't do accents, but but it's incredible. He is still as charming as ever. Oh, he's still brilliant. And he seems to talk a lot more about the old God of War games now. Because there's a whole bit where you're trying to find the, the Norse... It's not too much of a spoiler. The Norse version of the Fates... And he brings up how in the old games, he's like, didn't you go and meet the fates of the Greek gods? And he went, yes, I killed them. Oh, yeah, yeah great. <laughs> so, <laughs> he's killed fate before, it wouldn't stop him again. Stars, canon, don't they? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like a viral tweet at the moment of him like describing the events of the Destruction All-Star games and Kronos is like... PlayStation oh, Battle Royale, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic. Never... Right, Reed, you're not watching anything else? Yeah, so the other game I was playing is Pokemon Scarlet. So that just came out. Uh, Scarlet and Violet, and it's brilliant and terrible at the same time. It right, so hold off doesn't on, make on sense. Think about the launch because that's in the news. Oh, but, uh, is it playable? Yes, very much playable. I'll leave it at that. Oh, we'll move on. <laughs> fair, enough, fair enough. Right, let's go to our let's 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 hear what an industry man's playing. What have you been playing, Age? Not a lot, to be honest, um, because I've been making. So I think the main thing getting my time at the moment is Marvel Snap on mobile. Which it's is Marvel's um, fans. Yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Genre breaking and defining. Um, and I finally started the first horizon. So Forbidden Dawn. Um, probably put about three or four hours into that. It's very, very good. Obviously, um, I'm a game behind, but yeah, really enjoying that. Um, so they're the main things I've been playing. Sweet, sweet. With the horizon like I I think the first horizon looks so beautiful, right? Remember first time seeing it, you go, holy crap, this is what PS4 games could really do. In God of War and the latest Horizon, I haven't played it myself, but it's something I'm noticing is becoming like a trend in video games, which is I think it's for better, you know, for my money, about accessibility of if you're struggling with a puzzle, they will basically spill the beans pretty much within like 30 seconds of an attempt. Was it always like this, or is that like a new thing? Like in the current horizon you're playing at the moment, age, do you, did you get her like under her breath, just go, I've just got to climb up there, <laughs> or something? No, I think it's definitely a new thing. I think, uh, but I think that's part of a, a studio wide thing for Sony, to be honest. I think Sony is 
arguably the industry leaders on accessibility and they're not just looking at it through the lens of their own titles they're looking at it through the lens of how do we make our industry better um and they're just demonstrating that with their games i mean you look at you know the top accessibility options in any video game right now are horizon the new horizon the new god of war and last of us like and they're all under sony worldwide right so i think that um yeah I think I, I've seen people, I've not started God of War yet, I've got it. I've not started the new one. I've seen people talk about the fact it kind of gives you the way the puzzle solutions and they would have liked an, a bit a way to opt out. But at the same time, I think that um, they're not necessarily what the core of that experience is about anyway. I mean, let's be honest, that game is about the story and the combat. And I think anything that opens up more games to more people, whether they're differently abled or whether they've just got different input of difficulty, I think it's definitely a positive thing. Um, so, yeah. I mean, look, when we started playing games, there wasn't even tutorials. So I think, like... <laughs> I think the only tutorial I'll accept is if Bruce Campbell was narrating it. <laughs> there you go. The old Spidey games. Um, but if I think the reality of the situation is is that um, we are now the previous generation of video game players. And I imagine that, like, when the changes we made when we first started, like, we first started making games and we first started playing games probably seemed like the generation before us, us being too soft or holding hands. So it's probably natural that I think people of our generation are having that same reaction. But the reality is that the industry is keeping on moving, the players are evolving, um, and we're in this wonderful world now where suddenly people that can't even see are able to play blockbuster games because of accessibility settings. So, yeah, I think what we're seeing is new. It is a new era, but I think it is nothing but positive. Um, yeah, fucking A, well said. I think there's um, – I'm going to ask you lots of, like, how the sausage is made sort of questions during this pod. Don't have to answer now, but who decided that yellow is the thing that – says you've got to go that way you know it's like in all video games now it's like a, what's the critical path to get something done it'll be like that ledge is yellow that thing is yellow who decided yellow well a lot of the time yellow. the color choice oh, is like, it's because of palette right so like for us for instance when we're making illusion island we know not to ever use pure white or black in the game in the game world because we reserve that for the ui so i imagine when they were looking at what color palettes these games were going to be they were like okay well we're never going to probably use a pure yellow so if we if we reserve pure yellow, pure yellow for these tutorials, then we can keep we can do that wherever we want, and it will be seen wherever we put it in the game. Um, and there's also colorblind stuff as well. That obviously wow. there is set colors you have to avoid for colorblind purposes, um, and for if you've got colorblind settings and you're switching out colors. So yeah, there's color theory and the way that we interact with world and UI and prompts is just a really, really deep wizardry that is definitely above my pay grade, but like we've got wonderful people that do it and a lot of these games will have the same. Wow, there we go. Now I know. Moles, were you watching or playing or reading? I haven't been playing much other than trying to get my kids to play the Lego games again. Yeah, we're well, go, we're going PSN through, now, aren't they? They are, there's, a, there's a raft of free Lego games on PSN. So we are on Harry Potter at the minute because my eldest loves Harry Potter. So we are now on Harry Potter, the first, I think it's like chapter one, they call it. The first three films or books, have you called right. it, in one game. They're still running around trying to do things that are frustrating me. It's like, press the jump button. What's the jump button? It's the button your thumb is over. That's the jump button. <laughs> but, uh, bless them, you know, they're seven and five, so we'll get there eventually. Um, and I've been on a massive Walking Dead grind. Yes, the, the finale happened, uh, didn't it? 
I, I am many, many seasons behind everyone, but people keep talking about it. I keep seeing it pop up. It's the last season. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and I'm going to grind through The Walking Dead. So maybe in about six months' time, I can actually have the same conversation that people are having now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I won't, I won't spoil anything. Um, it, it finished, but it's not finished because there's lots of spin-off shows oh, coming. Yeah. It's never going to be dead. Um, but uh, but okay, I, I won't go into any spoiler territory on that. I will say, because I went on a comic book binge of The Walking Dead um, in preparation for the finale, when the show follows what the comic book's done, it's incredible. Like all the best bits from the show, and the comic book is absolute top tier, right up until it ends. Oh. <laughs> but um, that, that's because it ends, right? So, like Robert Kirkman, the guy who like invented The Walking Dead, he didn't tell anyone he was ending it. Just during the pandemic, he just went, "Fuck it, I'm ending it," and just said, "This is like just wrote an ending, done it." Didn't tell any like publishers until they received the issue. Reason why is because he wanted to help comic book shops, and you know, knowing that if this is the final one, and it's like a thing that everyone wants to go get their hands on, yeah. um, sort of thing. Um, but uh, when you get to Negan, talk to me. <laughs> right. I'll come back in a week or so. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, myself, I, as mentioned, I, I was playing uh, God of War. I end credits on that. Uh, I can actually see what the fuss is all about now. Um, basically, uh, if you played it, I kept getting up to the first realm where, you know, it's like pink. It's like a pinky realm. Yeah, another one. <laughs> and you've got- <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Heavy's like literally played every video game. I can just describe a colour and he'll tell me, yep, that's right. <laughs> um, and he's right. Um, I would always get to about there and I'd just lose interest because I didn't like the puzzles where, you know, it's like that, that weird spongy stuff that you have to throw your axe through. Mm-hmm. And, like, unlock stuff. I'd always like mess it up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to play Resident Evil. Um, so I finally got past that. And yeah, yeah it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. The gameplay is unreal. I just don't really get on with the puzzles, but the way they take a character, which is basically just, he's basically serious Sam with a knife, right? He's just running around, stabbing shit and, and fucking everything that moves. There's not really much character development. What they have done in this one game and turn it from a kind of, hey, I know he's had some fucked up shit and everything else, but it was kind of video game history and make it bring it through to modern storytelling. Chef's Kiss, absolutely glorious. This is what video games is all about. And uh, that I absolutely loved. Um, I also platinumed Resident Evil Village because I've been sitting on that for fucking months. And I've kept bugging you. Ten- I've kept bugging you to do it. Just finish it. <laughs> finish it. Just finish it. So uh, I was mercenaries. Um, the new new mode of that with the DLC uh, for the Winter's expansion is look. It's not worth sixteen schmeckles, but it's definitely worth your time um, when it becomes cheaper or when they inevitably bundle it in with Gold Edition and stick it in the PSN store or stick it in uh, your PlayStation Now or your Game Pass. Then give it a bang because it is so much fun to go around doing mercenaries as Chris Redfield, who literally has a cunt punching hand that can punch, you know, the enemies that are covered in armor, you can punch the armor off them and then shoot them. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, in terms of watching walking dead, uh, finale, uh, finished off that in terms of reading, uh, the guy who's currently the guy on Batman, uh, chip, I can never remember memory surname, the guy who made daredevil great again. He actually done a justice league comic called justice league, the last ride. I started reading that a couple of days ago. It is incredible. It's got amazing artwork. I highly, highly recommend it. Gentlemen, I think we are sufficiently lubricated up, but before we get to the news, uh aj last time you're on the pod we were talking about battle toads and the great success you had with that i think at the time we said you passed over a million players fucking hey uh on that sort of stuff 
then at that point now you're like i'm already thinking about the next project and then we found out what that next project was in the nintendo direct not too long ago and i remember asking you about how it felt to be at e3 and seeing your brand seeing your game pop up there in a video i'm going to ask you the same question because i'm shit at journalism how did it feel to see Delala with a lovely Nintendo logo and being in a direct and finally being able to talk about Illusion Island. Well, I'm going to have to correct you because it wasn't a direct. It was D23 we announced that. Was it? Oh, it was a, oh, it was a Nintendo direct following, wasn't there? Yeah, I, I told you, shit journalist. <laughs> Disney Expo. Yeah, yeah. look, it was incredible. Like getting to go over to the, you know, the big Disney conference, the same place where they announce the new Marvel, Lucasfilms, etc. Um, Were you over there? What's that? Were you over there? Yeah, yeah. I did, cause oh, this, did you go this, sitting on trailers and stuff? They got that. Uh, I didn't get a chance because I had to do press. But like they showed when you saw the trailer, they were they were showing that live in the room. And then when they turned off the stream, we actually came out and did interviews for the crowd. Um, so yeah, I mean, getting to present the game was amazing. Obviously, getting to present a Mickey Mouse game to a Disney audience is not hard work, um, but it is you know wonderful. Um, this is a very personal one for me. Obviously, we were doing the stuff with Disney back in 2015 that never ended up seeing the light of day. Um, so kind of to get to to come back and work on, you know, literally this nearly 100-year-old legacy character. Um, yeah, it, it's just been an absolute honour. And um, D23 was just, you know, hopefully not a once-in-a-lifetime experience, but if it never happens again, it definitely was worth every second of it. Was, was Kevin Feige there and did you smell him? No, I mean, he, yes, I imagine he was there. No, I did not smell him. Um, I don't <laughs> know on the day I was there and I missed him. Um, but yeah, there was lots of wonderful people there. Lots of wonder and lots of really cool stuff got announced, not just in the games bit, but also in all the, you know, the films, the TV side of things. Um, you know, I think Charlie Cox was there for the Daredevil stuff. So yeah. Yes. In fact, he was sitting next to us on the plane on the flight back. So <laughs> amazing. Just pick, amazing. pick that name up off the floor there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. Uh, so you mentioned you mentioned the, the previous Disney projects, and it's well in the public domain that uh, a while back you guys were scheduled to do a game with them, and a deal was signed, and it didn't it didn't work out because these things sometimes happen. Uh, how much of the DNA of that game is in this one? N- nothing, basically nothing. I mean, the, the, it was two D. It was Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Goofy. Um, and it had platforming that is as much as, as as similar i mean the best way to put it is like the the tech was completely different then it was a whole other generation of consoles there was 4k didn't exist then um this is a complete we started fresh with this like i'd started writing this as i was finishing battletoads i'd started writing this and it was never a case of what can we salvage what can we take it was always a case of let's start completely from scratch like let's you know, the Dalala we were in 2015 and 2016 isn't the same Dalala we were in 2020 when we started this. Um, so, yeah, besides the fact it has got, you know, the, the most wonderful mouse in the world in it, there is nothing similar besides that. <laughs> Excellently put. Um, okay, I'm going to ask you some really hard-hitting questions now. Does Samuel Jackson turn up at the end and tell Mickey he's part of the bigger universe? He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, he presses a button before he gets snapped out and then um, Goofy appears in an alternative costume. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. You're hard-hitting questions and hard-hitting answers. Um, with, with you know, there's a, there's a style that's that's definitely becoming apparent in Delala games, right? And it's definitely like a, a lovely art style. And, you know, you had fans of the art style. You've also had people that have had shit to say because guess what? It's the internet. Um 
this everyone loves Disney. Everyone loves the mouse. You even announced it in the House of Mouse. How's the like you will see seventy year old grannies who will affiliate Mickey Mouse more than they would with their own children. This is like you say, it's a big it's a big pressure. How's um how's the reaction been from communities from what has been shown in the public domain so far? Yeah, I mean it's been just overwhelmingly positive. Um Battletoads was a very different project. It was always going to be very divisive. Like the problem with Battletoads was that people had what a Battletoads game was in their heads. And when we didn't make that and we made something new, it you know, it it didn't sit. With this, Mickey hasn't had a identity video game wise for a long time. I mean, we had the 2013 remake of Castle of Illusion, that was very different. We had the Epic Mickey titles, which once again were very different. They're all very 3D. Um, like we're the first 2D Mickey game since the 3DS Epic Mickey, um, which wasn't particularly mainstream. Uh, so really, I think for a lot of people that remember 2D Mickey, they think to World of Illusion, they think to Castle of Illusion, Mickey, Mickey's Magical Quest. So enough time has passed that I think um, for those old enough to remember those games, I imagine when they look at our game, they probably get a little bit of nostalgia because it's probably what those games look like in their heads. It's not what they look like at all. But um, also, you know, Mickey has had a lot of identities over the years. Um, You know, I think for new audiences, a lot of people may be coming in on the Paul Ruddish cartoons that you see, the wonderful world of Mickey Mouse stuff, which is a whole different kind of Mickey. Um, for me, obviously, my favourite stuff is the old or white-faced Mickey, which is where our influence comes in, which is the stuff from like the late 20s, the 30s, the 40s-style Mickey. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff that happened in between. There was Mickey wearing dad jeans for a while. There was, you know, a lot of a lot of Mickey's presence for the last are 10 you, are years. Are you going to go into the Mickeyverse? <laughs> What's that, sorry? Into the Mickeyverse. Into the Mickeyverse. Just Mickeys all pointing at each other. Well, there's there's actually, I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, on Disney Plus on Friday, which was November 18th, Mickey Mouse's birthday, um, they released a new documentary called uh, Mickey, it's called Mickey, uh, the story of a mouse. And um, during the course of that, and what they show you at the end is they actually, they have some of the best animators in the world, including Eric Goldberg, they speak to Mark Henn, and they make a one minute animation, which Mickey goes through his past. Oh, amazing. Um, so they they have effectively done a Mickey verse. I need um, to it, I need to search that out. It's brilliant. It's an incredible documentary. Um, you know, I'm very biased because you know I am a lifelong mouse fan. So you know, but they talk about a lot of Mickey's history. They talk about the relationship that Walt had. You know, it's a very personal relationship. Walt was obviously the original voice. Um, so yeah, it's definitely worth watching, and you get to get the Mickey verse at the end of it. You you had some acting voice acting royalty in your previous game with the voice of Bugs doing a voice in Battletoads. Have you got any act, uh, voice acting royalty in this one? Are you allowed to say? I mean, we've we've got the official Mickey, Minnie, Donald, and Goofy. So this is, you know, this is Brett. This is this is the whole cast who are the official voices. Donald and Goofy. You know, Bill Farmer, Tony, and Somo have been Donald right. and Goofy since 1985 and 1986. So That's sweet. I mean, for you, I mean, you, you're friends here. Yeah, right. So I promise you that, that I'm not going to publish this. Of course not. Did you get them to say inappropriate things as their characters off mic? You you don't have enough money in the entire world to make me even slightly drop the most wonderful actors for the most wonderful characters in any trouble. They were <laughs> absolutely wonderful to work with. They were always appropriate. And um, 
yeah, it was very surreal. What I will tell you is like, obviously I got to remote in to watch the sessions with DC Vintage yeah, yeah. Voices. Renee, the voice director, she is she's world-class in every way, shape and form. No one knows these characters, in my opinion, better than Renee does. But um, what was lovely is it was like two o'clock in the morning our time. Um, and at one point, Hugo came in, my pug, and he came and sat on my lap, and we were doing the mini session. And um, he was just mesmerised by the voice. And she saw, she was doing the acting, she saw, and um, she started talking to Hugo in as Minnie. So there was this amazing interaction where Minnie Mouse was genuinely speaking to my dog. And there's not many things you get in life where you can tell a story like that. Like, that is a... Um, absolute kind of once in a lifetime thing and um yeah that's, that's caitlin and she was absolutely incredible um but yeah like it was very the, the voice acting on this is incredible we got to bring back a couple of um friends for this as well so one of the actors who plays one of the uh without giving spoilers a character in the game um is the actress who played uh julie satin rings in battletoad so kosha engler um so we got to bring her back to do a part for this which was amazing um, but yeah, look, I mean, I can't think of this. I don't know if I'll ever top the moment in my life where Goofy is reading my script. Like my Goofy that I grew up with, like the Goofy from all the cartoons when I was a kid, the Goofy from Goof Troop, like my Goofy reading my script and laughing at my jokes. Like, yeah, like, I mean, the whole project was worth it just for that, to be honest. So, yeah, like you don't get much higher royalty than, you know, literally the official Mickey, Minnie, Donald and Goofy. Yeah, that's, that's dope. And uh, you literally had your own version of Cameo there, the chat with with Hugo, which is sweet as. All right, okay, I think we've successfully uh, pampered him enough. Should we just crack on with, with news? Uh, but I'm sure we'll get back into more Illusion Island stuff later on. So, gentlemen, Game of the Year nominations are in. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's any surprises here, but I thought it was a good moment to a bit talk about it. Uh, Hemming, what's your thoughts? And where's your vote going? Oof, my vote's going Elden Ring. And it was going to take something special for it to top it, just from that experience that I had with that game. It's, I, I don't want to go over too much old ground, because we've talked about it a lot on here, but it was it was an experience that I've not had before. They took that style of game and just went to a whole nother level with it, that you're like, why wasn't it always like this? <laughs> you know because now it feels yeah. like it can't be anything but this and i just can't wait to play more of it that that for me is a uh, far and away for me anyway yeah do you think if god of war ragnarok came out a bit sooner it wouldn't be such a foregone conclusion in your mind i don't know because like i say god of war ragnarok while it's a very 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 good very good game it's still a continuation of the original and it doesn't feel different enough to it where in my head I'm like, okay, this is some sort of groundbreaking thing. Whereas Elden Ring genuinely felt like it was, it was something so new and fresh that I just couldn't keep away from it. Yeah, no, it's fair enough. Sorry for the typing. I'm just quickly getting up the list again, just so I make sure I don't F it up. Not a problem. Um, Six of them. So three, three were PlayStation. So we had, no, like what? Yeah, or Sony titles, shall we say? Uh, Stray, God of War, Ragnarok, and Horizon Forbidden West. Those three were up there. A Plague Tale Requiem uh, also was in there. Is what we missed out. And Horizon, as mentioned, Horizon Forbidden West. So you're saying Elden Ring Moles? I know we haven't played every game, but out of that list, to you, it's it's going to be a toss up between Elden Ring and God of War. 
It's good that That's Stray it. got a mention, though. It is, though, it is, it's a really good game as well. My kids love it. They call it the cat game. It is, it <laughs> is literally the cat game, yeah. <laughs> it needs to be a mod where they get the guy who done the voice from Cat in Red Dwarf to basically just go, yeah. <laughs> as he jumps around. That would be incredible. Let's just do it. Let's just do some YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, do it, as he's jumping around. That would be incredible. Man, bring him back right, up to right, Gex 3D. It's been a while since he's done the games. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, he was Gex, wasn't he? Was. He was, yeah. Gex, uh, Gex, we have, we have a listener called Gex. Hey, Gex. Um, AJ, your game of the year. The yeah, one. I mean, technically, I'm not in a position to vote because I've not played any of them yet. Um, but obviously I know about all of them. Um, it's definitely going to be a toss up between Elden Ring and God of War for what takes it. Like, I think it's great to see Plague Tale in there. It's great to see Stray in there to get smaller titles. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is obviously incredible. That whole series is incredible. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, I think if Forbidden West had probably come out in a different year, it would have been a better, it would have been a contender. Um, but you have to look at you know you look at the review scores to where the votes are likely to be going. Um, and God of War is hitting those ten out of tens. Elden Ring obviously did well, but I don't think it's critically performed to the same extent God of War did. Um, but it's interesting. I think I can't remember how it works because this is this is based on the Game Awards, right? This is the Game Awards. Yeah, so there's, yeah. there's, there's two there's two sort of things that make it up. One is the critics, yeah, and uh, the critics is basically a lot of publications. Uh, and then there's a public vote as well, and I can't remember what percentage, but it's not even. It's not like the. It's not like Twitter could turn the tide, sort of thing. Unless, well, it's very, very unlikely. Um, so it's pretty much like you say, the critics, darling, is the kind of winner um, yeah. most of the time. Anyway. Yeah, I think it could definitely go either way with that, but I imagine from what I've seen about God of War and the reaction to it, I think it's probably the one that's got the most across the board in terms of like all the different areas. Um, but yeah, I mean, you never know. I mean, Stray just picked up, I think Stray picked up game of the year. I think at, um, the golden, golden joysticks. joysticks. Yeah. Yeah. One PlayStation game of the year. And then I think Elden Ring won overall game of the year, but I, I wanted to just touch on Plague Tale. You mentioned there that it's great to see it. I haven't played that one yet, but the original was my game of the year. The year it came out. I absolutely adored that game. So I can't wait to get into this one. Definitely, yeah. It's just nice to see a good spread. It's nice to see a good spread in there. That it's not just all the big fifty million plus budgets. It's there's stuff in there that's made by like little little teams doing great things. Hmm. Stupid question. You said big budget there, like fifty million. What's small budget, medium budget, and large budget for like people that don't really know? Like we we hear movies and we go, oh, that movie costs like $150 million or $250 million or $30 million, whatever. Like put that in perspective. What's so say a AAA game is like $50 million basically. Oh, I mean, your AAA is normally, you know, anything above 25, 30 million is probably, is what AAA. I mean, the first Spider-Man is rumored to have only have cost somewhere between 20 and 30, which is, absolutely ridiculous because that game is one of if not the best game ever made um but yeah i mean it really varies right you get incredible performing titles that cost next to nothing you know stardew valley costs not a lot of money vampire survivors not a lot of money um which you almost sit in your kevin smith clerk servitory there right where they did a low budget big performance um for a lot of indie titles they tend to top out 250k 500k Next kind of banding you get into is the stuff that costs between one to three million. 
Um, and you start getting into what we traditionally used to call like the black hole funding, which was the hard money to raise, which was anything that was less than 10, but more than three. Like there wasn't a ton of publishers for, um, but like that is kind of like um, that kind of three to fifth, like that five to 15 range. So that's like a studio like our size. So that's the sort of kind of budgets we'll be working at that kind of bound in there. Um, and then, yeah, you jump up. But I imagine like something like Stray, for instance, that was an Annapurna published title, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't imagine they broke the bank on that. Annapurna. Uh, Annapurna, yeah. Annapurna <laughs> tend to do like smaller budget, but big impact artistic titles. So that was probably lower end of the budgets. Um, you know, you get the stuff like packing and unpacking, right? Which once again would have been low budget. Plague Tales, probably your mid range. Um, stuff like Supermassive Games would sit in that mid-range, I imagine, a lot of their titles. Um, but then, obviously, you get your Halos and your CODs and your Sea of Thieves, which cost a lot more money than that. Yeah, yeah. Do you – I know I've asked you this before, I think off mic rather than on mic, but because you know how the strings are behind the scenes, can you what can you, can you enjoy stuff? Do you sit there and play there? And do you, can you just play a video game and not look at it as someone that makes video games? Um, short answers, no. Um, that is the problem. <laughs> like, the bigger problem I have is I can't enjoy games while I'm in the middle of production. So, I will sit down to play a game, and I will maybe get an hour in, and then I'll be like, "Why am I wasting time playing a game? I should be making my game." And I'll just go work. Like, and that is the big problem I have, and that's just because I'm a workaholic. Um, Whereas once I'm out of that, or if I've given myself, if I get up early, early to try and give myself some time, and I actually sit down. I can definitely see past the flaws, but you see all the flaws. And it's no different to like when you're in a band and you can hear the, like, you know, you hear bad playing live gigs. Um, but at the same time, none of us make a perfect game. 10 out of 10 doesn't mean perfect. Like 10 out of 10 means you've resonated. Um, so yeah, for all uh, bumps and problems and bugs, like that never bothers me. I had no issue. You know, I loved Arkham Knight, even though I kept falling through the floor in my Batmobile. Um, because I know how many bugs I've created in my 15-year career. I know, you know, some of that stuff doesn't get fixed. Games the worst bug. The worst bug you've ever, what's the worst bug you've ever released into well, production? I'm, I'm not going to say that publicly. It might not have been found yet. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, that's, that's, uh, that's game of the year. It seems interesting and may the best game win. Either way, we're going to get some trailers. We're going to get some cool stuff. We still hope that one day the smoke will clear. David Hayter will walk out and go, I'm back. That's a terrible impression, but maybe one day. Please, David, please. Um, Okay, let's talk about Dead Island 2 for a moment. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago where it was the game that rose from the dead quite literally. It was announced, I think, in 2014. Then it disappeared for a long time. Then those games, people that made that game went on to go make Dying Light and all that cool stuff, and they broke apart, come back, and everything else. Anyway. It's back. It's back, but not. Um, Oh, my dog's saying hello again. Uh, I'll come there with me in a second. Um, <laughs> See, we're, we're, we we love dogs. Is is uh, Hugo nearby at the moment? Uh, Hugo's at home, I'm afraid. I'm at the office and Hugo's at home. Ah, oh, fair enough, fair enough. Um, anyway, sorry. Dead Island 2, it's been delayed. Uh, Heming, I'm about to go let the dog in. So can you vamp for me and talk about Dead Island 2, it's been delayed and your thoughts on it? Sure, let's go. Um, so yeah, it's only been delayed for seven years now. So what's what's a couple more months? You know, I loved the first Dead Island. We spoke about it a few times on here and how much fun that was. Just the, uh, the this is a 
game dev question as well, the physics that were involved in those zombies, the fact that you could break their arms and then they'd just be flailing around wildly. There was a lot of fun involved with that game. And I I love Dying Light 1. I'm looking forward to what they're going to do with Dead Island 2. I just... I don't know. I'm still wary. I'm wary about it. I don't know if it's going to be good or not. That's how I feel. It's like Dead Island and Riptide, they were fun games. They were fun kind of just sit back and let's chop some limbs off. Yeah. And we kind of, after a while, we just look past the kind of foibles and the bugs and a little bit of jank here and there. And it was just a good time. It's very Australian. It was all, all, the, all the voice actors were Australian and they had a certain Australian charm to them. So it was be like, are oh, you going to go get that those supplies? And you're like, yeah, all right, mate. Yeah, I'll go do that for you. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed it. The only thing is, and, and sorry if you've already mentioned it, um, when I played um, Dying Light 2 this year, I was like, I've been so hyped about this game because I generally love these games, but it could have been made 10 minutes after the last one. There's nothing nothing revolutionary compared to what was there before. And I'm afraid this is kind of going to happen again. That being said, Goat Simulator 3, which, by the way, there's never been a Goat Simulator 2. <laughs> I just it's love that. brilliant They're branding. Good. I love it. <laughs> brilliant branding. They decided to recreate the trailer, didn't they, for yes. Dead Island 2 for, for all that. Yeah. Uh, AJ, are you a Deep Silver fan? Did you, have you played their games? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Deep Silver are obviously quite a large-reaching entity nowadays. Um yeah, I mean, they come out of, like the THQ side of things, right? So I think that, you know, I think who's the team making it? Dan Buster. Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah, because it wasn't right. It was someone else originally, and then Dan Buster took over. It's moved between, I think, three different studios since it was announced. It's, it was. Techland would have been doing it first, I imagine, because it was the sequel to their yeah. title, and then um, someone else, and then Dan Buster. Yeah. Um, oh, Sumo had it at one point. Sumo Digital, I think, were doing it at one point. Okay, wasn't aware um, of that one. Yeah, who were um, based over here. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, the problem is at this point, like, everyone looks at it as a game that's been in development for seven years, but it probably hasn't. It's probably been three versions of the game that have each had a year and a half, two years. Um, it's tough. Like, it's it's got big boots to fill. It's coming off the back of, you know... A, that was a very loved cult classic, that first one, with a team that was very loved um, at the time. As we've seen, that team went on to do the Tet Dying Light stuff, so it kind of feels like you've almost had you've had their we Dead Island 2. Yeah, um, we got our sequel. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll be interested to play it. I really enjoyed the first one. Um, the biggest flaw for me in the first one is I just don't think Death had enough punishment to it, so it kind of felt like a survival game where all that happened is you lost some cash out of your wallet when you died. Um, so I'll be interested. I was more concerned with my weapons breaking than dying. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't right. even remember any punishment for dying at all. So yeah, you're right. I don't yeah. even remember. Um, and that kind of, that took me out of it a little bit because when you're surviving a zombie apocalypse, survival should be the thing that is the main driver for the game. And that's coming from someone that hates permadeath. Um so yeah, so no, I, you know, I'll definitely give it a go. I never played the Dying Lights, to be honest. I never picked them up, um, but I'd probably pick up Dead Island Two to give it a go. But I think, well, yeah, I think it's got a disc version of PlayStation. What's that? Have you got a disc version of PlayStation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll lend you. I've got them on disc. Um, oh, cheers. 
and uh, let me know. Um, another thing that came out recently, Heming, you mentioned it right at the start, mm-hmm. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Let's talk about that launch because I ain't played it. I just looked at Twitter and uh, <laughs> other talking about Elon Musk and everything that's been going on that blue tick nonsense and just memes of employees running out of Twitter. A lot of people talking about this launch and showing hilarious pictures and videos, obviously out of context, kind of hard to tell. Heming, yeah. what happened with this launch? Um, it feels like they got a bit too ambitious and maybe didn't give themselves enough time. Because uh, earlier this year, let's just remember, they've released two proper big Pokemon games in a year. That seems that seems crazy. And Pokemon Legends Arceus is the best Pokemon game, in my view. It was fantastic. It's not completely open world, but it had large open zones where the Pokemon were all out and about. You could sneak up on them, catch them. And this now is a completely open world. It's sort of the next step up from that, but it's a step back in terms of how it performs and also visually um it's not the best looking game i've ever seen it is definitely a step down from arceus in terms of just the design of everything is quite simplistic draw distance isn't great uh, and it's got a lovely bit of a bug at the moment where you walk forward and things it's not just a case of things popping in that does happen It's things popping in, then popping out, then popping back in, then sort of blinking a bit, and then when you get close enough, they'll finally stay still. And it's really quite disconcerting at times. Um, When you're in docked mode, it's not. It's not. It's don't don't play in docked mode. Play this in handheld. (laughs) Don't see on a big screen, basically. Yeah, on a big screen does not do it any favors. And I, but saying all this and all that aside. It's the most fun I've had with a Pokemon game for ages. It's so fun. Like, the whole gameplay loop is fantastic. Going between the towns, the giant open fields, you see something off in the distance and you think, bloody hell, is that a Pikachu? Right, bloody... And you get off after it. It's so fun. But the technical things I can overlook. And I I hope they can work on it. But it does just feel like they bit off a bit more than they could chew at this time. You said that they've released a lot recently. Mm. Is this like a different studio sort of dealy under one it's, umbrella? It's or? all Game Freak as far as I'm aware. I, I'm sure that they've got enough people within their team to split into teams uh, because they must have been working on have Arcus at the same time. Have they these issues yet? No. Is it still like, no, no, is no. It, does it make it game-breaking? No, it doesn't make it game-breaking. Um, what I have heard is that apparently turning it off and back on again after sessions is better rather than keeping it in rest mode. I'm not technically minded enough to know why that is, but apparently... Let's help desk 101. Yeah, the longer <laughs> that you're playing the game for, the worse it performs. So turning it off regularly. I've been just turning it off and on again, playing it on my commute, and I've been having minimal issues. Does that say more about your Switch, though, then? Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> my Switch is... Probably knackered as well, and is switches again. But it it is just it it needs work. It needs work. It does question because there was the switch now five years up, six years old. When did it come out? Twenty seventeen, I think it came out. Is it? I can't wait for that as well. I remember. Well, you've got to remember, Breath of the Wild was a release title, and Breath of the Wild was a massive open world, and 
there were no real issues. There was a little bit of sort of frame rate drop occasionally, but no major concerns. This is nowhere near that level. It's, it looks very simplistic. Breath of the Wild was last gen. So Breath of the Wild was actually the end of life cycle on Wii U. And oh, then yeah, there was of course. The so it was a launch title for Switch, but it was the same way that GTA Five came out. Of the, and, you know, Last of Us came out. Oh, the end no, of the right. um, oh, no, yeah, Mom's right. He's on it. Yeah, 2017. Man, I'm old. <laughs> so have we reached a point now with the Switches? They're, they're pushing it as hard as they can. I and obviously they... The studios may have all fancy new switches that haven't had the years of grinding. Someone who was working on it. (laughs) (laughs) Leading leading questions. (laughs) If if you're able to give some insight, we would we would love to hear it. But I think it it's not as big a world as Breath of the Wild, and that was fine on the Switch. And this is why it feels like they just needed more time. It's you can never compare two games to each other. It's as simple as that. You can never compare two, game, two games to each other, not just from the perspective of the studios or the engine or even the hardware. Like, you know, it's very, very different. Like Breath of the Wild is a lot bigger and open, for instance, whereas I imagine Pokemon has probably got more action going on in terms of like the Pokemon you come across, the potential to battle in any of these areas. Um Like the issues you're kind of talking about here where people are saying turn it off and on again. Um Sounds like it could be a memory leak, which is a nightmare because you can't always find them in testing. Um, you know, like and what that often means is there could be just one little, could be one tiny little thing in your world that isn't getting cleaned up and it just keeps going. And the longer you play, the longer this thing is effectively generating and using that memory and stacking and stacking until the point where, you know, the memory of the switch goes, hey, I've got no more room left. Um, like RAM, not, not hard disk. It goes, I've got no more room left to process anything. So I'm going to have to slow things down. And they're a nightmare because, you know, there's there's often this belief that, like, we choose to launch games with bugs or, like, the QA aren't any good because they missed them. It's the testing department or it's the programmers. Sometimes when the game comes out into the wild, players will find things that you don't find in two years of testing and three years of development. Um, and something like this memory leak, it could be as simple as that. It could be that... You know, there could be something in there that just got like just a byproduct of how testing happened. Maybe they were turning off the switches regularly. Maybe they didn't, you know, have the opportunity to do a big session. Um, and so it never got found. And so it never got fixed. Um, and then we have, we've had them, we've had them all like Battletoads was horrific for them. And a lot of our time at the end of the project went into patching up memory leaks because the Xbox One was very underpowered in that sense. Um, and like I said, Breath of the Wild was end of cycle. So Breath of the Wild was a Wii U game that then got to benefit from the power of a Switch, um, which is a very, very different kind of thing altogether, right? It's, you know, it's the opposite of what we, you know, you'd mentioned this earlier, right, where you, you're concerned that there's some stuff in God of War where it suffered because they were doing last gen as well. Well, it's the opposite of that problem, right? It's knowing that you're building something initially on a platform that is now less power than another platform, Um you know, it's the same as if you build something on Xbox One, you know it's going to run on... You know, we had to do no work to get Battletoads. Literally, we did nothing, but Battletoads runs even better on the Series X because it's a more powerful bit of hardware. Um, so, yeah, like, I just feel for Game Freak and the Nintendo company, like, for that, like, it's... No one chooses to release a game that's got problems. Um, and from the big thing I take away from it, I've not played it yet, but you have echoed what I've heard from a lot of people, and that is the most fun Pokemon they've had in a long while. It is. And it really is. 
for me personally, and I'm biased, I'm biased because I'm a developer, I'm biased because I'm obviously making a title which is debuting on Switch, but that's the main thing for me. Like, if the game works and it's fun, then, you know, look at Cyberpunk, look at all these other titles that have had these resurgences, right, once they've kind of fixed problems. Um, so, yeah, like, I will definitely pick up one of the Pokemons. Like one of, I don't know which one, which variation I will get yet. Um, it's quite a lot yeah. of them to pick up, I do believe. 150. <laughs> I mean, there's well more than that there's, now. There's 400 in this one, but there's like, there's oh, over wow. a 1,000, I think, they've hit now. Yeah, it's crazy. There is, there is a lot of Pokemon now. It's, I mean, it take you a long while if you've got to catch them all. <laughs> well, I've been, I've, been, uh, I've got a six-year-old of whom is getting into her Pokemon loads uh, via Netflix and a TV show. We've been playing our version of the game Bogies, but with Psyduck. So yeah. we'll be in a public place, and she'll just, she always starts to capture. She'll just go Psyduck, and I'm like, all right, all right. She's she's calling me out. Okay, so eventually gets to a point where we we're in boots the other day, and I basically just shouted. Cider! <laughs> <laughs> ridiculously loudly and, uh, and it's, I had that look from people which either you know or you don't know and it was quite she, she will love this game yeah. then because that's one of the first ones that you find out in the wild you bump into a lot of Psyduck straight away so she'll have a great time oh, her spirit animal is Psyduck <laughs> to be fair like she, she literally looks like Psyduck she constantly does the hand thing so so she, her facial expression, I'm not saying she's... <laughs> so, you know what? She's body positive. Who gives a shit? Yeah, she looks great. Um, so, AJ, you mentioned about um, about Microsoft and uh, and efforts and putting things in. That's a terrible segue. But the point is, is that uh, as part of the news, Microsoft recently have announced that Project Keystone has been put on hold. Now, for the uninitiated, Project Keystone is their attempt at building a streaming box so similar to the Google Stadia stick, which was utilizing the Google Chrome, Home Chrome stuff, um, they've decided to put it on hold. Main reason being is that they just you can't make an affordable apparatus for your TV to be able to handle the grunts to be able to do this effectively. Um, you know, it's not so it's not a coincidence that this is announced within a month of Google Stadia disappearing. It's one of people's thoughts on this and streaming in general. Stadia failed in a sense because it was too expensive and also streaming doesn't really work for like really fast-paced games unless you've literally got a wire hooked straight into uh, the Google server. I've not had a good streaming experience, but then again, I'm <laughs> might have to see a doctor about that. Well, uh, it might be because my internet connection is not Well, that's right. one of the things. The internet connections in this country are quite poor in comparison to the rest of the world let's face it um it, you know we we don't live in taiwan where they have gigabit ethernet as their internet connections we have you know most people's broadbands are what 60 meg on average that's good and then they've got all these devices they've got smart tech in their homes they've all got mobile phones connected to wife it just it struggles mm. it struggles i mean i i played stadia when it was they they gave away three months six months free at the start of the pandemic and there were some games that were enjoyable on it. It was hey, it started fun. your love for Destiny. It did, but it was horrific to play when things started getting fast paced. It just couldn't handle it. And that was Google. You know, this, you know, they're on comparison size wise with Microsoft as to what they can with give. resources and exactly. Yeah, nice so, stuff. Yeah. Um, I think their excuse of saying, "Oh, we couldn't make the hardware cheap enough," is like, well, Google managed it for like a hundred pounds. Yeah, but who knows at what loss they're operating at for that. 
That's true. I mean, yeah, to be I, mean fair. I don't think you want to use a failed business as an example of somebody to being successful in their market, right? Like Google <laughs> failed with Stadia. Um, Microsoft are the smartest company in the world when it comes to hardware. Um, what I will say is very few missteps by Phil Spencer, like very few. Um, why build a piece of hardware if they've already got the streaming service running inside a browser window and on applications on televisions? Um, yeah, you know they've they've just they've launched this year, right? They bit they do that pack. I believe you can get it now, where you get the app for your. I think it's Samsung TVs. They did it with, is it? Where you install, yeah. you install and, and you say it's well, Apple TV. So you install it on there. You connect your Bluetooth controller to your TV, and then you're playing. Like I mean, once that can roll out to all TVs, or if you can open up a browser on your TV and play, like why do you even want a streaming box at that point? Like it almost becomes a little bit redundant. Um, and the performance inside the browser window is insane. Like it's 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 just as good, if not better, than any of the other streaming platforms did. Um, the- do you guys have to actually think about this when you're developing stuff? Is that like, has it become like a, a part of the thought process at all yet? Um, no, not necessarily, but that's only because it, we don't need to. Like, you know, Battletoads, I believe, is streamable. It is, in fact, I'm sure it is on the cloud streaming part of um, Game Pass. Um, and it's, you know, it's pretty playable. It's, you know, if you've got a good connection, it's good. Like, I've played it on my phone, like, you, you know, with an Xbox control hooked up. You know, it plays. Um, but we don't necessarily... The stuff we make um, doesn't necessarily work that well for that as an out-of-the-box thing. Whereas, like, what I really love on... I mean, the most insane feature I think Microsoft have actually done is the fact that you can go on Game Pass and you can play new-gen titles on your last-gen Xbox via streaming. So, like, obviously, you'll go on there and you'll see you can't install everything. So, I'm still on Xbox One X. I haven't got a Series X. Um, but I can go on a store on Game Pass. I can find a game that is only on Series X. And then I can just press the cloud button and then I can play it on my One X. Like, which is insane. Uh, like, it's a, you know, like, um, but yeah, we're always going to have those internet based problems. But our internet structure is getting better over here. Like, the infrastructure is getting better. Internet, well, Pre this year, internet was getting more affordable at higher speeds. Um, and yeah, like I think if if Microsoft are looking at the hardware and going, you know what, like it doesn't, it's not cost effective to make this box. I think it's probably because A, it's not cost effective to make the box and B, if they're going to be able to do it via an app that can just install to a smart TV, which every TV is now, um, why bother? Like just, just why bother, right? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Big Philly Spencer um, with the Series S uh, and it being Black Friday. Uh, Microsoft are the first console in this generation to go, you know what, we're going to start doing cheaper SKUs uh, for promotional events. And for the first time ever, the latest generation is now starting to be reduced. You can get a Series S for £189.99, which at the current exchange rate is $189.99, which means it's actually cheaper than the PS5 Edge controller, (laughs) which is just insane. When you put it like that, wow. (laughs) Yeah, like, like, I mean, look, whether... 
as long as video games wins, who cares whether you're Xbox, Sony, Nintendo or whatever, right? But then you have to applaud what Xbox have done with Game Pass. It's changed the face of gaming. Uh, Sony buckled and done their own version of it. And Microsoft are kind of leading the charge when it comes to affordability for for peripherals and and hardware. So Series Um, S is the digital-only version of the console, isn't it? It's the one with less grunt. Okay. Yeah, so it's like the it's like that you can still play next gen games on it. It just won't play as nicely as it would do on an X. Is that correct? It's, yeah, I mean you have to you have to to pass certification. It has to run almost equally as well on both. Okay. Oh, okay. So not that you're putting words in anyone's mouth, but there's not that much difference between an X and an S. Then it's not. It's definitely, it's definitely not as powerful. But like, you're not getting a massive step down with it. Is the best way to put it. Like. You'll still be getting a next-gen experience, just not necessarily to the same extent. I don't know if it's got solid-state driving it, for instance. So I don't know if loading's yeah. as quick and stuff. Um, but it's an incredible bit of kit, like, and that that's a ridiculous price. Like that is yeah. a ridiculous there's there's going to be a lot of those under people's Christmas trees this year. I think at that price. That, when they announced it, the first thing a lot of us thought, who a lot of us who work in, was like, well. Microsoft have just created the secondary console market, like because people will buy the we we all assume right people buy the lead console based on two things: one, exclusives, but more importantly, two, where are your friends? Like if all your friends play on PlayStation, yeah. you can get a PlayStation. If all your friends, but what Xbox introduced when they made the Series S version was suddenly that those people that have got PlayStation as their lead platform but they like the look of wanting to play some of the Xbox exclusives suddenly had a, an affordable secondary box, right? Like, especially when you're seeing like the PSVR headsets coming out, costing more than consoles, <laughs> you could buy three <laughs> series S's for that. Right. Like, um, and I think that was the smart move suddenly creating this secondary console market where you didn't have to spend 500 pounds twice. You could spend the 500 quid on your PlayStation, but then you could spend 200, 300 quid on a, xbox and still get a next gen experience and let's be honest xbox is our game pass boxes now like mm-hmm. that is the majority of the market mm-hmm. um but this just uh, um, this just amps that up 180 quid is yeah i mean it's in console terms it's nothing right mm. it's absolutely nothing for a, a you know next gen or current gen as it is now yeah, yeah. experience I, I i can see a lot of them being secondary consoles in other rooms in the house yeah, <laughs> honestly, you're gonna have you, your home entertainment in your living room or in your in your man cave, whatever you've got, where you got your big grunty consoles, yeah. and you know your parents play that one, and then you've got the kids with the secondary boxes in their bedrooms. Yeah, no, you're right. It's that you know, it's that cheap. Well, fair play to them, and if that means it's going to encourage Sony to either create another PlayStation skew at a lower price or lower the price of a PlayStation, then the consumer is only going to win. Based, right? based on so, their previous history, you'd be expecting in the next couple of years a, a PlayStation Five Slim. They seem to always go down that kind of path. Um, I'm yeah. not. I wouldn't be it in the works. Size, that'll make it a normal size console. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I had to get a new stand <laughs> because of a damn PS5. Uh, all right, let's move on. We talked about it last week, about Netflix getting the rights in partnership to make a Gears of War movie. And we said, where the hell is Dave Batista? Well, Dave must have listened to old pod because then he put his own video up on his own channel. He owns Gears of War stuff. And he just stood there and just went, I love this shit. And just wore his Gears of War outfit. I just wanted to say how cool that was and that we like Dave Batista. 
AJ, do you like Dave Batista? I mean, it's hard to not like Dave Batista, really. Let's be honest, he's wonderful. Exactly. So, yeah, long may it continue, and hopefully we get to get to see him. Would you cast any? Is there anyone else that's a dead uh, cast you'd put in a Gears of War game film? He is Gears of War. That's it. I saw the, the dream lineup, wasn't it? There were some people posted was The Rock, Dave Batista, John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, how, how much money do you think Netflix are throwing at this? I don't think it's that much. <laughs> but that, that I mean, would be it just fun. shows that. that- WWF from the early 2000s is just ruling Hollywood, isn't it? Yep, there you and, go. And uh, how's that a bad thing, to be fair? Triple H peaked too soon in that Blade movie. <laughs> oh, oh dear, let's not go there. <laughs> Blade Trinity, classic. Um, while we're talking about actors, though, just to kind of, uh, on a slight sombre note, um, there's two very influential people in the things that we knew from our childhood, sadly passed away since the last pod. Uh, Kevin Conroy is a name that we all associate with the bat. And uh, for a lot of people, he is the definitive voice of Batman. For some people, he's the definitive Batman. Um, I know it's very, uh, retract- very sort of redundant to say it. Everyone says it. But when I read a Batman comic, I hear Kevin Conroy's voice in my head. And I know a lot of people uh, are feeling uh, about this one in particular. Uh, AJ, Kevin Conroy, what's he to you? I mean, he is the Batman. Like, I think everyone always says they've got their Batman and it's either it's Keaton or, you know, it's even modern, it's Christian Bale, etc. But, like, Kevin Conroy is the Batman. Like, you know, it's thanks to the animated series that we got some of the most, like, you know, Harley Quinn only existed, you're, you know, important name to you only exists because of the animated series and that is Conroy is the Batman. Like, yeah. Um, obviously, just a massive, massive loss to the voice actor industry, massive loss to Batman fandom. And, you know, a massive loss that, although I know the project at Bad Robot was in a weird limbo that we never got to see that kind of new reboot they were going to do. Did they actually do anything, or was it just, they were just breaking story? Uh, I mean, it got dropped with all the Warner Brother animation drops, so I don't know where. Uh, it uh, but uh, yeah. sucks. But, um, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. There's um, there's so many amazing stories about Kevin Conroy um, that have come out, uh, just because he's a great human being, but... Um, um, I've got a couple uh, to, uh, to sort of talk about here on the pod. One of them is that back in the day when I was doing talk filming to me, uh, I worked with uh, a lady called Joanne Rowney, who is um, the head critic of the Radio Times. And she got to interview um, Kevin Conroy a while back. I think it was an anniversary thing for um, Batman, uh, for Batman the Animated Series. So it was coming out on Blu-ray. He was promoting it and she got to interview him. And she said how much she loved him and everything else and he just said just he just offered to record her voicemail on her phone so she's got a voicemail of just kevin conroy just saying this is joanne's phone he just offered because he knew like what fans wanted and everything else um but uh there was another thing that I, i was listening to a while back and that was on i think it was happy sad confused podcast kevin conroy done a uh, an hour long interview and there's one story off of that which just i just this mental image of it was um he was a theater guy he went to a theater school in new york and um he went he moved out to new york he went to go live in new york and it was very expensive so he was looking for a roommate and uh his first roommate was going to be christopher reeve so superman was going to share a flat with batman now christopher reeve one british actor fucking legend um 
he grew up, and you know, Kevin Conroy says this in the interview. He's not saying it to throw shade. He's just being very factual. Is that Christopher Reeve grew up in a very privileged household? So when he come over to live in New York, and he was picking flats, he was picking flats that was ridiculously expensive. So Kevin Conroy had to say, like, I can't afford to live in this flat with you and share it. So Christopher Reeve was like, oh well, you know, he goes, no, I want to pay my way. So I, I uh, reluctantly, I'm sorry, we're friends, but I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm going to find my own way. Um, so he then went to a well-known comedy bar and he had another friend um, at this comedy bar who was there doing improv, who was also studying at the art school, a gentleman called Robin Williams. So Batman ended up shacking up with the genie. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, Kevin Conroy uh, wasn't very open about his sexuality, but Robin Williams apparently knew and was like, hey, man, yeah, you be you, all good. And uh, one night in particular, Kevin Conroy met someone um, he decided he's going to go back to the apartment of which he shares with Robin Williams. And he rung ahead and said, I've met someone. Uh, do us a favor. It looks like a dump. Can you please tidy it up? And Robin Williams was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll tidy it up for you. Anyway, turn up at the front door. Robin Williams opened the door and went, it's okay, Kevin. I got rid of all of the trash. He was wearing nothing but an apron. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, apparently, like, I, I want to watch a sitcom where it's Batman and the Genie or Robin Williams and Kevin Conroy just hanging out. What lovely, lovely people. And, um, you know, sadly, very tragic, um, his illness. Um, he also wrote a specific version of Pride DC Monthly. Um, so for a monthly edition, he wrote, and I think it's the only time he ever actually wrote for Batman, but it was a very, very personal story to him. And he got to, he got to write it as well. So not only did he get to voice Batman in over 177 episodes of Batman, he also played it in tons of video games, tons of animated movies. He also got to play him in live action in the Arrowverse. He got to play as Batman in that. Um, I could speak about Kevin Conroy all day. This man is such an inspiration. Gone, but definitely not forgotten um i just hope that uh i hope that it encourages a lot of people to go watch the animated series because you might just think ah it's just a kid's show from the 90s but i promise you uh go watch it because it's got some of the finest writing you will ever see in an animated show and uh it it gave us uh, i think it was tara strong uh voicing harley quinn uh i think i don't she was the first but she's definitely the she's my harley quinn when i think about that that voice um it introduced us to to um the concept of batman having two voices kevin conroy was the guy who said right bruce wayne has a voice and batman has a voice and uh that kind of parallel between them uh, there's a fascinating video which we've tweeted out on the twitter account i implore you to go have a look at it was um there's a famous scene in the 1969 Batman movie where Adam West's Batman is taking a phone call from. <laughs> I love this. The, and he's like switching between the two characters and someone stopped Kevin Conroy in a convention and asked him to do a reading of it. And he done it in his own voice. And it's so amazing seeing this thing in there. And it's not just the voice, it's everything else in between. And um, anyway, I think I've talked too much about Kevin Conroy just to kind of uh, another unfortunate, tragic loss we had this week. Um, we were only talking about Power Rangers not too long ago, how much of a cultural influence that had on, on all of us. I, I dare you to find someone in their 30s that doesn't know or has been inspired or done something with the Power Rangers. And uh, Jason David Frank 
the Green Ranger or the White Ranger. For my money, always the Green Ranger, but was a damn good White Ranger as well. Sadly passed away. Um, and uh, it's not confirmed yet, but there are many reports that suggesting that um, this unfortunately was a preventable death. And it's just a shame that I'm sure he knew, but it's still a shame that did he know enough the impacts he had across people? Uh, uh, Alex, I've spoken far too long already. What's your thoughts on on uh, these two gentlemen? I mean, I, I think you've covered a lot of Kevin Conroy. I can't really say much more than that. Like like you've both said, he is the bat. And uh, the dynamic between him and Mark Hamill as the Joker was just, you can't, re- you oh, can't yeah, replicate and, yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Amazing. Like- but yeah, with, with Jason David Frank, um, yeah, everything that's come out about him, it was, he was just the loveliest guy. And I was sort of looking online and he's such a huge part of our childhood, as you say, the Green Ranger, the White Ranger, and he continued being in Power Rangers throughout the years. He's apparently, he's also been a Red Ranger, a Black Ranger. And one of the clips that I saw was his final appearance in Power Rangers. It was only a few years ago. And it's him fighting like an evil robot version of himself. And as he's going through the fight, he transforms through all the different Power Rangers that he's been over the years. And it's, it's quite sad looking at it now, but it's a very fitting way for that character to sort of bow out from the show and... It's a nice last thing for him to have on screen as that character. But God, yeah, such a shame that it had to happen the way it did. Moles, Green Ranger. Yeah, Green, original Power Rangers. None of this newfangled stuff. Just give me (laughs) the original ones. And that that is, yeah, Saturday morning TV, bowl of cereal, Power Rangers. Yeah, well, I hope he's somewhere playing his flute at the moment. AJ, Green Ranger was... Who was your who was you, you don't have to say the Green Ranger. Who was your Power Ranger? Like who was your number one guy when you were growing up on that? Oh, so it was Jason. Jason to start with Red Ranger. Um, but yeah, I was a massive. I mean, I've got. I mean, I've still got at home. I've still got my um, the dagger that plays the tune. I've still got my Dragon Zord. I've still got my Mega Zord. Um, I've still probably somewhere got the talking sword he had when he was a White Ranger. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think white line saber saber. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved that original Power Ranger series is brilliant, and they did a really cool. Um, I think it was feature long episode where they brought back members of all the different iterations of Power Rangers and had them fighting. So like, it had like three from each series almost from like across the whole thing to do this big massive fight. Um, which was very cool. But yeah, like, I mean, like you guys said, like Alex has said, like um, that fa- that fandom loves him and he is always, you know, he was always there, always gave that love back. You know, from what I can tell, he never turned down the opportunity to come back and replay Tommy. Um, so yeah, like it was, you know, it's, it's a massive loss to that community and it's just, it's just incredibly sad. Like any, any death that could be prevented is obviously devastating. Um, but, you know, I think that at least it's very clear. I think he knew he was loved, if nothing else. Um, and he had, you know, his his impact will never go on that fandom. And for us, people our age, we will always remember the Green Ranger who turned good and then lost his powers and then became the White Ranger. Incredible. Yeah, I, yeah, everything and more. Love that. Love that guy. Um, I, I was going to talk about last week as well, uh, last pod, about Power Rangers Shattered Grid and how that as a concept 
is incredible. And his voice acting as Tommy is great in the game version they've done. And I know there's been some fan films. I think uh, Bat in the Sun Productions done like a fan film, and he starred as Tommy in that fan film. Um, I held it. I was hope. I, I really hope that we got a a more established live action version. But even if that's not, we don't get that. Then what we've got is great. He did actually do a cameo in the most recent live action. Power Rangers movie, which, you know, for my money, I said it when I reviewed it on my film podcast, it's not great, but you got to see him for a second. Him and Kimberly stood there taking photos of the Megazord. I thought that was kind of dope. Um, so, yeah, hopefully somewhere on a cloud we have Batman talking to the Green Ranger um, and uh, pour one out for them and respect. Okay, let's try and get the mood back into something a little bit more fun. Uh, Moles. One of those vocal cords, my friend. What's the time? It's time for the wheel. That is right. We have a bunch of topics of which we have no idea, uh, no time to prepare. Some of it's gold. Some of it is not so gold. But hopefully we're going to get good content either way. Spinning right now. Gentlemen, best line of dialogue ever spoken in a video game. I have to put an asterisk next to this. You cannot say dialogue that you have pitched or wrote for your own game. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't you can't do you can't do a name drop and tell us about how someone amazing liked it, although I'm sure there are tons. Um there's 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 a bunch that come to mind for me. One of them, AJ's probably gonna smile as I do this. I'm just gonna stand here, I'm gonna hit the ground and go. <laughs> and hit the ground twice. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Resident Evil 2, the original, when Ada passes away. <laughs> um, oh my god. My most uh, most memorable, which isn't the best, but my most memorable is Tenshu. Um Stealth Assassin's the very first one. You drop in um and there's this creepy guy trying his luck with a woman and he's just going, he's going and you drop in and you fight him and he literally just go, Edgigoya, step aside or I have to kill you. And then he, you go, <laughs> <laughs> so your attack sound is boshing. Um, and that game came out on PlayStation 1 and I remember that exact scene and that exact dialogue. <laughs> like it was Tenchi Stealth Assassins, am I right? Uh, oh, okay. oh, uh, one that I, I generally, generally always makes me laugh, but it's still so impactful, is uh, Metal Gear Solid. Ground Zeroes, which is the prequel, obviously, to, to Phantom Pain, uh, one of the greatest games never finished, um, was there's a scene where the helicopter picks up Snake and the crew, and uh, I can't remember the, 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 the character's name, um, but he stands up and goes, Damn it! They played us like a fiddle! <laughs> <laughs> Very, very angry and starts kicking stuff. I generally, generally, that, that just makes me, I still quote this to this day, that uh, Henning, of the millions of trophies, I'm sure there's some dialogue that sticks to mind. I, you. You, I want to go with the, the best worst line, which is Devil May Cry, where right at the end of the game, he's holding her, I, I can't remember the girl's name, but he's holding her in his arms. I should have been the one to fill your dark heart with light. It's, <laughs> it's, mwah. It's art. It's beautiful. <laughs> that is art. That is that is incredible. Oh, um, I do love those Devil May Cry games. I have to go back to Metal Gear because I don't know who done the voice of it, but the guy who done the voice of 
the the ninja, right? Uh, I can't. And I can't remember the name of the character. God, that's really bad, isn't it? Um, and he's just like Snake. We are not tools of the government or anyone else. So it's just the impactful gravitas of what was Deep Throat um, over your codec, which, by the way, problematic name. Okay, so Hideo Kojima needs to explain that a little bit. But, um, can I check something? Are you being serious yes. that you can't remember the ninja's name? Was it a joke? Yeah, it was a joke. I was going to say, thank God for that. Uh, uh, I was uh, like. <laughs> like, he's not serious, is he? <laughs> no, 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 no. Just, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be humble of why we've not, how we've named our podcast. But uh, AJ, have you ever like? When was the last? I don't. Maybe you don't have chance to do this because you're too busy playing video games. But how many times have you played a game and then just gone? God damn it! I wish I wrote that line. Like, there's been moments where you just gone. Oh man, that's that's sweet as hell. I mean, obviously, all the Kojima stuff is brilliant because it's just so insane. Like, obviously, everything he does is just absolutely insane. Um, but all my favourite stuff is Tim Schafer's stuff, all the stuff he did. And obviously, Day of the Tentacles is the reason I make games. And that whole thing is just hilarious. And then, obviously, all the stuff he's done since with Brutal Legend and Psychonauts and Psychonauts 2 and Broken Age. Um, they're absolute masterclasses in writing, like, humorous games. And one of the hardest things to do in games is actually to write funny stuff. Like mm. it's pretty easy, and I'm not saying you see how people can't see me doing in the speech mark. It's 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 you know writing a serious story, you know, not necessarily a good one, but writing a serious story in games is a lot easier than it is to try and write something funny. Um, but yeah, like Tim Schafer's dialogue just cracked me up every time. Love it, love it. See, this is why we have legitimate people on here because I just keep going. I like Metal Gear, and <laughs> and you know that game with the bloke from Rick and Morty about the gun that talks back to you. That seems fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of which, actually, um, am I right in thinking you had uh, some some Rick and Morty folks on back, uh, Battle Toads uh, looking at some of the writing elements? Are they are, are you getting them back? Are you working back with them again? So our lead writer on Battletoads was Tom Kaufman. So Tom was one of the main writers on the first three seasons of Rick and Morty. He was also lead writer on Loki for Marvel. Um, and yeah, we had, uh, so our zits um, was Ryan Ridley, who was a longtime producer on Rick and Morty and still does voices. Um, but no, like my writing partner on Illusion Island is Kelsey. So Kelsey was one of the writers on Battletoads. But like Kelsey's done stuff for like Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, etc. Um, and so it's more tonally appropriate. Like you can't really do Rick and Morty style humour with, with Mickey Mouse. Um, how far are you allowed to push the boat? <laughs> I mean, you could like you, you know Mickey. This, I think we've done stuff with Mickey. You won't, well, I know we've done stuff with Mickey. You won't have seen before, but um, there's a very different. There's a line between Rick and Mick. Let's just say that, right? I like that. So. I like that. Um, <laughs> So yes, yeah, so uh, Tom. But like, I still stay in contact with those, like all the writers off of it and stuff, and the kind of the cast members from Battletoads. And um, yeah, Tom's doing great. Ah, sweet, sweet, sweet. I mean, you talk about like dialogue in games and stuff like that. I, I know it's not necessarily video game writing because it's obviously taking homage from the thing it came from. But I think about those South Park games, like Stick of Truth and Fractured Butthole. Just the, those little quips that are embedded in lore and history and all it takes is just a few words. Of I remember I was, I was playing a stick of truth. I was walking past one guy and he just went, they took our jobs. And for me, <laughs> I was just howling because it just, you know, in, in, in three words or four words even, I'm illiterate, um, that they 
they managed to evoke such emotion and comedy. And like, yeah, it's I right. tip my cap to it, man. Well, those games are. I mean, obviously, the guys wrote it. Like Trey Parker, Matt Stone wrote those games. Um, so yeah. like those games are genuine masterclasses. Like they are. They are just like playing massive South Park episodes. Um, you know, for you know, our backbone of Delala is we do, you know, cool stuff with other people's IP and these so it's like a new take on the license model. But every time I'm talking to anyone, publisher, other studios, like they're the games I point to where I'm like, look, you can do a licensed game and have it be just as good, if not better, than the thing it's licensing. Um but yeah, the writing in those games is just absolute world class because the writing on South Park is world class. Yeah, you had a chance to watch the Paramount Plus movies yet? No, I haven't. How many of them have they done now out of their ridiculous contract? So they've done four. <laughs> uh, they tend to be two part two movies. So they'll do two movies a year and it tends to be a part one and a part two. So the first first year of that contract was called... It, the, the, the title of the two movies was Post-Covid. And uh, I'll, I'll, all I'll say is that they tell you how COVID started and they end COVID. Um, <laughs> the second year of movies, uh, which we've only got the first movie for, and is called The Streaming Wars. And uh, it's basically kind of poking really self-aware fun at Paramount Plus and the fact that everything's a fucking plus. And again, if Randy Marsh is either your favourite South Park character or your fucking worst? Well, I have to say, if Randy Mars is the worst for you, then don't watch these movies <laughs> because he is basically the anchor point for everything going forward. Um, I will share with you through legal means access to my Paramount Plus account, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, oh, fair uh, Moles, any more, any more for any more when it comes to di- best lines of dialogue Just- in the movie? Movie? Uh, sorry, I went yeah. back to old podcast there. Just uh, again. Anything that was ever said by Duke Nukem. You know what? <laughs> I had that exact same thing in my head. Shake it, baby. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Iconic voice. Iconic lines. I was bit, so so. Uh, there's times where I would hear a certain friend's voice go, "Much better." <laughs> and the amount of times I, I say that to myself, oh. or when I go for a piss in a public place. Ah. Ah. Much better. Or when he looked himself in the mirror. <laughs> Damn, I'm looking good. <laughs> what a yeah, game. Yeah, the arcade yeah, the arcade cabinet in the first one with the Duke Nukem arcade cabinet you go up to it and he goes, Oh, don't have time to play with myself. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Did anyone play the Die Hard trilogy on the PlayStation? Ooh. I had it on PC. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I had yeah. it. It was like three games in one. Three yeah. completely yeah, 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 different yeah. games. You had a like an on-rail shooter, a crazy taxi, yep. and then there was one yep. that was the first game like where you were just going board. up the up the building. Yeah, yeah. So whenever you completed a level, you would have the option, because it was like an arcade game, you had the option to put in your initials. And at the end of the initials, it would always go, yippee but it would not be official Bruce Willis yippee <laughs> They couldn't afford that. <laughs> Some guy off the street. You can imagine they just, hey, look, the voice acting has has moved on irreparably in an amazing way since the early 90s. But in the early 90s, it was hard to get amazing voice actors all the time, right? So they literally just got a guy that sounded nothing like Bruce Willis just to go, yippee And it also, that was the noise for confirmation. So <laughs> whenever you click OK, you go, yippee <laughs> I think, 
I'd have to double check, but I'm pretty sure the reason they didn't get his voice in that is because I think he signed an exclusive deal to do that apocalypse apocalypse game he starred in. Love that. Game. Oh, I forgot about that. So game. I think I think he did a deal, and I think it meant that he couldn't do the Die Hard trilogy game because he was doing that. Don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure that was something that happened. He also doesn't voice himself in the Fifth Element game that came out at a similar time. I think like a couple of years Sorry, later, but it's similar. It was a Fifth Element generation. Game? Yeah, it was brilliant. I had I no idea. Yeah, it was a movie tie-in game, and there, I was obsessed wow. with it because I was too young to go see The Fifth Element in cinemas. So I would go to Blockbuster every weekend and rent The Fifth Element just because someone at school told me that you see nipples in it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was basically, you know, teenage boy, what the girls are going to do, right? Um, so I, I played the shit out of that game. And it, I, I, you'll probably look at an emulator version of it now and go, Flint, that's not great. But for me at the time, I generally loved it. Um, it was so cool. And it looked, it had, it, it just looked like the film. It felt like it looked like the film. So, yes, look it up. There was a Fifth Element movie tie in game, <laughs> which had wow. nothing but cutscenes from the actual movie. So that's, I kind of watched it. Oh, they must have been pixelated um, to all hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I also, like, I don't know. There's, there, I remember there was level. Uh, Moses looking up pictures now. Improving look here. Keep it in the nostalgia. Keep it in the nostalgia part of your brain. PlayStation One. It's PlayStation One. Yeah, so. like it looks like a D grade now. <laughs> you know, like you've seen like Bloodborne being D grade. That's, that's what they aim for in a D grade. Well, that's what I aspire to for that kind of stuff. So, so yes. But it was dope as hell. But anyway, sorry, yes, the Die Hard trilogy, yippee ki that sound sticks in my mind. But also, when we speak about sounds and dialogue that stick in minds, I generally thought, you know, in Mortal Kombat, the, 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 I don't know who it is, but there's a face that pops up and says, I, always, I thought he said, whoopsie. So I was always going, whoopsie. Toasty. 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 Yeah, where, do, where does Toasty come from? Like, he's, he's one of the devs. Yeah, and he just said, that's his, that's his phrase, that's a catchphrase. They should have kept that, even in like Mortal Kombat 11, where somehow it comes in. That would have been genius. Um, any more for any more on greatest dialogue ever spoken in a game? No, I think we've talked that one to satisfaction. So if you have got any more topics you'd like to contribute towards the wheel, get in contact with us on Twitter at GreyFoxPlays. However, we're also going to be looking at other social media platforms for obvious reasons. Please let us know where you guys are talking. Uh, Mastodon, I hear, is becoming a good game in town. AJ, I know you guys do a lot of great stuff on your social medias. Are you thinking about Mastodon for Delala? I am. I have got no. I am too old. Uh, so we, but we have got. <laughs> we have got a, a marketing and brand manager starting on the first of December. Um, so they will probably take that over for me because they will probably be better positioned to make that decision. Yeah, you can tell us what the young people are using. That would be great. <laughs> Hive, I'm seeing something called a Hive, which, as far as I was aware, was a way you control the temperature of your house. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, fair enough, my friends. Uh, yeah, I've never, never done TikTok either. Uh, not, nothing against it, mind. And I can see um, a lot of people from film Twitter have gone to TikTok and doing like 10-second film reviews. 
and they're doing it in such cool imaginative ways. Um, Koi Jandro in particular is doing a great, great, great piece of work there. Um, but anyway, that's for another time. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've been listening to, then just maybe, just maybe you're willing to go a little bit further. Click on that like, follow, subscribe, whatever button is that means that you get more content from Grey Fox Plays. Uh, first of all, guys, let's just uh, take a moment to appreciate it's very hard to get people in the industry to actually come and talk because unfortunately they tend to be bounded to secrecy. Um, so let's just take a moment to appreciate the man, the myth, the legend, AJ for coming back on. Um, we'll get him a football for his hat trick next time. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you for having me. Um, if people like the cut of your chip, how can they find you? Well, who knows by the time this comes out. I mean, so uh, Twitter, <laughs> so you can do Delala Studios or One Word, or for me personally, it's Dnost, D-N-O-S-T. Um, obviously, if you want to play Battletoads, it's available on Game Pass, Xbox, and Windows. Um, and yeah, Disney Illusion Island, there's a lovely trailer you can see on YouTube. You can wishlist it on Switch, and it's coming out TBD 2023. Can't Thank wait. you very much for all the things that I forgot to mention that you guys have got going on. Uh, one final hard-hitting question. Now, I remember the first Delala game, uh, a little little gentleman uh, called Nebula. Was he called Nebula? Was that Jank- his name? Janksy. Janksy. Yeah. Collecting Nebulas, sorry. That's it. Uh, I, just, I love that Incubus song. Um, has he made any more appearances in Delala games? Uh, he nearly did. So he was, I think we had... Something for him when we were making a game called Nothing to Fear. Um, so he nearly he, he made an appearance as a toy in that, but that we never ended up releasing that game in the end. I think he's even in the demo for that somewhere we've got d- ducked down. Uh, I think he'll show his face again one day. Obviously, the, can't necessarily do it in stuff like Battletoads and Illusion Island because they're owned by other people. So shoving my my property in there become become complicated. Um, but you know, Jenksy celebrated his tenth birthday uh, a month ago. So, you know, he he's, you know, he's old enough now to be shipping him off to school. Alive and well. That's it. He's, he's, that little green alien is still going strong. Nice, nice. And uh, and Marvel's in your game when? <laughs> <laughs> and that is the best you're going to get. That's the best you're going to get. AJ, you know I need to get the clickbait article to get the subscribers up. <laughs> anyway, he's handled that like a pro uh, veteran. Okay, so let's go to our trophy man, Alex Hemming. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much. And how can people find they you? They can find me on Twitter at a Lemming Plays, and I have made myself a hive because I, I heard that was a thing. So Hemming87 over there, if you're moving over there. There we go. You're one step ahead. Amazing. game, man. And finally, our man, producer Moles. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much and good evening. Thank you for leaving the engine room to sit in Bar Flint with me. Yeah, I'm going to go back now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, till next time.